Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240 for Spring Semester 2023. Ratio interpretations. I will talk for a little while here, and then you will have a quiz starting at 2.35. You have 20 minutes for the quiz, and, uh, or more if you have an accommodation. And uh, once you're finished with the quiz, you're done for the day. So suffer with me here for just a little bit. First, let's have a look at the markets. Uh, this is a day when we will do some ratio analysis interpretation. And we will also have our quiz. And when you're finished with the quiz, obviously, you can wander off and do something else with your day. But looking at the markets, as we always do, you can see that this is, uh, well, no, 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 no. Uh, uh, Madam, what kind of a day is this on the, in the, on the street? Bear. Bear. Yeah. Bear. Yeah, I, I learned my lesson the hard way on Monday about the, how, how serious you have to take the bears. By the way, I was, I, I, you probably didn't notice it, but I was actually almost blacking out when I was in that ha head because I, I had a lack of oxygen and it was getting hot in there. But, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, last... Well, the last semester, Barstool Birds actually did another one of the skits that you'll see later involves horses. So if you're looking for a volunteer opportunity, I need someone to be a horse. <laughs> With a real horse head, you know, and horse hooves. So anyway, no, this class doesn't get me in trouble all the time with the dean. Okay, it's a bear day. Look at, notice that same pattern though. The Dow is down the least. Uh, the biggest, hugest companies uh, lumbering along, very low risk and low volatility. And then the S&P 500, higher risk, uh, just big companies, but there's still more action in them because they do function, at least in the short term, in a competitive environment. And then the NASDAQ is just getting creamed today. So... You see there, there was this rally about an hour, not even an hour ago. Do you see that rally? All three of the spark charts pushed upward as the bulls began to fight back, trying to get some ground. It just didn't work, though. The bears just came back and started. And oil is coming up today. It's not anywhere that's scary. I mean, when you see, when we came out of last year when oil was 125, these are pussycat prices, and we will see the price of gasoline beginning to ease back. One indicator that will probably help you know kind of the timing, watch the price of diesel. Right now, diesel is still more expensive than gasoline. Once you see the diesel price beginning to ease up, that will tell you that those distillates are getting back up to good supply levels. And that means that the gasoline will be, there will be more production in the refineries of gasoline. It's, a, it, it's sometimes a good way to tell what's coming next. 
but one way or the other. Moving on here, as you can see, gold and silver bounced. They, they, they had a, uh, what was that? There was a real hard surge in the earlier morning, about nine o'clock or so. It, there was a surge upward in both gold and silver. And there was some kind of a rumor, and I don't know what it was. I just heard there was a rumor. And so there was a kind of a buying spree there for a little bit on gold and silver. But then they both, the rumor fizzled out, and they both tailed back down quite a bit. Now, the 10-year bond, the yields have, the yields spiked this morning, and then they turned, and they went down, which means the prices dropped this morning, and then the prices of the bonds came back, started coming back up. So whatever that means, it's, the market is in kind of an odd mood today. There's a, a generally bearish sentiment. There's no question about that. There's a bearish sentiment. Uh, <coughs> but... What's driving it is kind of hard to call right now. I mean, you know, uh, everyone says, well, the State of the Union address always causes the markets to rumble. No, it doesn't. Not really much at all. Political events actually don't have that much impact unless something really adverse or favorable becomes a law. Before that, it's all just uh, fire and thunder in Washington, and they really don't move markets very much. The politicians don't. Now, the technocrats, like the Fed, Federal Reserve, and all that, they can say things that can make markets uh, do a jump or drop. But politicians and their speeches and their threats, not much at all uh, from that. So th this is something else that's going on, something that actually has meaning. And always keep that in mind. Don't, uh, don't think your political opinions really matter either to the world or to the, uh, to the uh, financial markets, notwithstanding what some of these podcasters and TV experts would tell you. It really doesn't. Now, going over here, as you can see, London surged upward early in its... Uh, the day there, but then it just began to fizzle out. It just finally, it ended almost flat from where it began, up only a quarter of a percent. And notice the Nikkei, God, right just after the opening bell um, over in Tokyo, something really spiked the market down and the bears just went wild. And then all the rest of the day over there, which was night last night here, the, the bulls were, see, see how the bulls were trying to climb out of that pit there? It, the funniest thing is that when you know what's going on behind the scenes, this isn't a mystery at all. It's actually just sort of like something entertaining to watch. As long as you're not stupid and investing like I do in stupid, risky instruments, I'm going to end up not even having enough for my Denny's Grand Slam tonight, the way it's going. But anyway, enough of that. Now, I want to show you something here. Well, well, first of all, let me do something here. There were a couple of ratios in the book that I didn't cover uh, in the lecture, uh, but there's a, something else that's... Uh, let me pull up VeggieNet here real quick uh, and get you that for financial ratios formula sheet. I hear this... There is a line that is not on... Any, uh, hardly any financial statements that are filed with the SEC. But it seemed to be something of a, um, an interest 
for some finance types of people, especially corporate finance people. And uh, in general, this is kind of a corporate finance course, although I do cover investments in it too. But if you go down here, and I'll pull up this financial analysis formula sheet. Something that is not on this sheet that is useful to know is a, uh, let me get a marker here and put, write this on the board. It, it's not a big thing. And as a matter of fact, let me pull up Walmart's uh, financial statements here. Um, Excel. Uh, Monday. Okay. Here's the Walmart income statement. There's a line that's not on here, and it would be kind of hard to slip it in here, too. It's the line EBT, EBIT, DA. And I hear this enough from corporate finance professionals. Well, EBITDA is, now remember, EBIT is operating income. That's another, that's another way of putting operating income. Now, what EBITDA does is it adds back depreciation, expense, and amortization. It's expense. It's a way of taking out the non-cash flow items. It's a way of taking out the non-cash flow items. Remember, uh, uh, earnings before interest and taxes includes a subtraction of the depreciation and amortization expense, which is not a real thing. What this little trick right here does is try to bring that back and add it back to operating income so that what you get in EBITDA is more of a reflection of true cash flow, operating cash flow, than would be just EBIT, operating income. That's all the EBITDA is. And there are some uh, ratios that press EBITDA into service. So if I wanted to do EBITDA, as sort of a, an abstract calculation over here somewhere. Let me put it over here in that ratio sheet. EBITDA. What you would do is you would take equals the operating income, that one, and you would add back, going over to the statement of cash flows, the depreciation and amortization. So EBITDA is $36 billion, which is somewhat higher than the just EBIT operating income of $25.9 billion. That's all that is. And you'll I, I am assuming that almost all of you are going to go out there and 
be something awesome and be in a, in a corporation where finance is taken very seriously. And you may very well hear this EBITDA said at some point or utilized at some point. So it, it's worth it just to mention that. And there are a couple of ratios that use it uh, that I'm not going to show. One is in the textbook uh, that they promote somewhat. And I'm going to show you something here. Every time I do this, my bookmarks, I have to rebuild them from scratch, so I'm going to have to snoop around a little bit. I'm going to have to claw my way to it. And you have seen this, you were supposed to see this in Business 100, although my, my experience is that most um, uh, of the Business 100 classes don't emphasize this so much. This is really important in the world of finance, but it's even more broad, it has an even broader importance. And I'm going to come in here and I'm going to go and find the Milner Library's site, Campus A to Z, Milner Library. Now, uh, again, assuming that you all, or almost all of you, had Business 100. You're familiar with the study guides that they show you there in that class. There's one that is appallingly useful. S&P Global Net Advantage. Standard & Poor's is one of the most um, used uh, resources in the world of finance, but it goes beyond finance. And I'll put a bookmark so that you can go right to this. I'll put it in VeggieNet. Here you go. Really? Let's try that again. I clicked on it for God's sake. Okay, let's try it one more time. I'm going to show you something. Here it is. Sorry. Okay, now. This is a subscription service, and it costs thousands of dollars a year for a professional. If you are an ISU student or a recent alum, you get to have this for free. It is your, yours to use, and in most places, you just go up here, and it'll take you. There's a portal that makes sure that you have a subscription, which you do if you've got an ISU ID, and then we sit here and we look stupid while this thing tries to load. Is there some reason why this sucks right now? Do I need a hand crank to get the internet up to speed? Let's try it again. Oh, that was brilliant, wasn't it? My God, why don't they put me in a home somewhere? Uh, Milner, let's try Milner one more time and go to the study guides through this link. Am I on crack today? <laughs> okay, there. 
uh, there. And let's try this one more time. And we are going to just sit here looking st Ah, there we go. Thank God. Okay. Uh, now, this doesn't look like anything on the front end. Well, isn't that nice? We got a page with some highlighted headlines. Type in any public company. Best to use the ticker symbol. But it's not just any public company. You can also type in private companies and sometimes get a lot of information on them. You can even type in countries and you'll get a pile of information on a country. Uh, it's just a data wellspring. And I'm going to type in WMT and get Walmart. Now let me show you a couple of things here. First of all, look at this. Uh, now don't let this deter you. A lot of times sites will have a bunch of links and you begin to get a sense of what are my go-to's here, and you begin to know where to find them. Look at this one, ratios. I wonder what ratios is. Ratios. Oh, God, the internet is slow. Oh, there we go. Oh, it's five years of the ratios I just showed you how to calculate on Monday. There right there in front of you. Now, uh, you can tweak it around. Uh, it always does latest on the right, and I'm more used to latest on the left, so you can reshape it as you want. And then, look at this, return on assets, return on equity, gross margin, net margin, EBITDA <laughs> margin, all of these that I showed you. And uh, notice how, remember I said that there are so many ratios? Well, they find every on one of them here. You really don't have to do the manual calculations. It's important to show them to you, to show you the formulas, so you can know what they mean. But in the raw calculation, they are always provided. You can go to Standard Poor's Global Net Advantage and get whatever ratios you want. And you can even choose, well, how many decimal points places? I want two decimal places. Go. You can get as many decimal places as you want for your accuracy, and you can get this all without doing, bringing up your calculator at all. It gives them all to you. Another thing that is nice about this too is that you can do comparatives. What is Walmart's, what do Walmart's ratios look like compared to the industry or compared to its top competitors? You can do that here in the Global Net Advantage. It gives you all of this uh, information, but I always want to tell you, and sometimes I'm overstating it, but this is some place where, remember I said the 10K is a great place to get information for term papers? Well, look here. You can go here and get information too. You can get who's on the board of directors, what they do, who, what, where, you know, their backgrounds. You can look at all of these compensations, it's all here in Standard & Poor's Global Net Advantage. Now, a lot of this is actually pulled from the 10Ks. The reason you might want to use the Standard & Poor's Net Advantage is because you see how compact it is. In the 10K, you might be you know, running around all over the place for something, and here, it's just sitting there looking at you. And so, this is something that is 
good for those classes you're going to take where you have an essay or a term paper where they're asking you broader questions. You can get the financial information here, the ratios, you don't have to calculate them, and you can get background information on the company and on its competitors and the competitive environment. You can even go down here and you can look at research. These are top researchers, uh, professionals, and they do this on contract for Standard & Poor's. And I've been in these kinds of uh, contracts myself over the years. You can get Standard & Poor's own experts. You can get those from a, 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 a think tank called Hoover's, which is very well respected, and other places. So you can look at what they have to say and quote them in your papers. So this is not a cheap place to go. It's definitely worth your while to get comfortable with it. And like I said, I'll put up the link to the Standard & Poor's. But it's useful. And also, one thing I, I wanted really quick, quickly check here. Um, oh, here's, a, here's one. This is a, called the tear sheet. And it's just a quick overview of the company and some of the top numbers, like a summary. And it's useful for you to have a quick look at, too, if you're doing some kind of an analysis for a project. It gives you an overview, the names of the big dogs and all that kind of stuff. And you can click on them and see the inside story on the bio uh, on any of the board of directors members. It's worth your while to do this. And it struck me, I, the collect, the remora in the ratios, I said it's very difficult to find the collectibles, um, sales that are uh, collect, uh, are on accounts receivable and credit sales. Well, here it's not that hard to find it. It's up there in those financials. You can just dig it right out very quickly. Another interesting thing is that many of the services like Yahoo, you see this stuff right here, up here at the, well, come on. Well, that was disappointing as heck. Let me try that again. Let me type in Walmart, WMT, for a quick thing here. See all this company highlights, charts, conversations? statistics, historical data profile. Most of this is pulled from the databases of S&P Global Net Advantage and Morningstar. So looking on Yahoo, you're just looking at the stuff that is, you can get from original sources instead of going to Yahoo and citing Yahoo, which is a secondary or tertiary source. You can go right to the uh, horse's mouth and see it yourself. So that's worth your while to know that. And I wanted to show you that because, that, and that's one of the reasons I don't have you do a whole lot of calculations. But let me show you something here. I'm going to tell you, always be somewhat cautious when you are doing ratio analysis. Remember I told you about times interest earned. And you can have that be, the higher it is, the, the less likely the corporation could go bankrupt. But there's another, there are other ones too. Remember I told you about inventory turnover. 
faster the inventory turnover, the better, because you need less warehouse space and all of that. The downside is that if there's a supply chain break, then you have cleared out your warehouses and you can't fill them up again fast enough. So there's always a downside to a ratio. Here's one that has a, an interesting history. The return on assets, ROA, which is your net income divided by your total assets. Okay, the higher the return on assets, the better. Not necessarily. There's a problem with this one, and I'll even pull up Walmart just to show you. And if you thought about it, I'm pretty sure you would you already know this, but you see this total assets right here. Now, what happens is that property, plant, and equipment is net. In other words, minus accumulated depreciation. The year, uh, the accumula accumulation of depreciation expense every year gets you down to here. Now, if total assets is falling, then ROA would be going up, smaller denominator. Here's a story, about, so yay, you wouldn't look at why ROA was going up, you just say return on assets is going up, that's a good thing. Uh, but there's a downside to it. What if total assets is going down? And specifically, what if it's going down because you are accumulating all this depreciation, but you're not replacing the old equipment that's depreciating away with new equipment? Now, if you're depreciating old assets, but you're replacing with new assets, then this line up here, this net, would tend to go up because you're buying new stuff to replace the depreciating assets. Story from many years back. In the, uh, most people don't know this, but our refineries are almost all very old. They have not been replaced in many, many years, in decades. Well, this was something that was happening in the 1970s, the 1980s, 1990s, was that the refineries in the United States were getting older and new refineries weren't being built. Therefore, accumulated depreciation was eroding total assets because the total assets, were, the fixed assets, were not having any additions to them. They were just having the subtractions of the accumulated depreciation. So total assets was going down, net income was going up, so ROA was climbing like a boss at the oil refineries, the, oil, the big oil companies. Wonderful news, except for this. Eventually, those old refineries, which were not being improved, which were not being replaced, did something rather spectacular in the early 2000s. They started exploding. And when you have a refinery explode, or otherwise get, uh, get ugly, uh, containments breached and all of that, well, it spills out fire, 
uh, toxic fumes, and it kills people. That's what was happening at these refineries because the working class communities around them that did that kind of work, they suffered the consequences. Quite a few deaths, quite a few permanent and, uh, and temporary illnesses and injuries resulted. All because the refineries were not being replaced. They were not being improved. And ultimately, the consequence of that was that ROA went up, everyone cheered every year, ROA is going up, and, but people started getting killed. And ultimately, the companies ended up having to pay a lot more money to clean up and buy new equipment than they would have if they had just maintained the, uh, the refineries to begin with. Is this limited to the oil, to the, uh, oil refineries? No. There are many places where companies will let their total assets wither down because they don't replace old with new. And the ultimate consequence of that is that you have disasters happen. I've been, when I was more involved in the energy industry, I was taken on a tour of a, an, electric, uh, uh, an electric generating plant, uh, one of those that powers the grid. And this wasn't that many years ago. And this guy, I knew him, I'd known him for years. He was a, uh, an, an engineer, a mechanical engineer. He said, I want to take you someplace. And he took me down into this cavern of pipes and wires and all this in this vibrating sound, and it was hot. And he had a light, a big, whole, huge flashlight, and he holds it up to this one long, huge, thick pipe. And he goes up to this one place, he says, look, and at first I didn't really see just an old, big old iron pipe. And then I noticed that there was a swastika on it. What? Yeah. We bought this equipment back when we were still friends with Germany during the Third Reich in the 1930s. It's still here? Yeah. It, it's, it's being you. Yeah. Can you hear it? You want to put your hand on it and burn it? No, no. That, in other words, we have lots of industries where the deep infrastructure just isn't ever replaced. It's just depreciated away, and that helps ROA stay up because total assets go down as a result of all the depreciation. Just a lesson to keep in mind when you see these ratios going where everyone says they should. Ask yourself, what is the formula, and how could this be going up and it'd be a bad thing. Usually it's a good thing, but sometimes it's not. Now, you have a quiz to take, and uh, once you're finished with that, that's all I have for you today, and I thank you. <laughs>